Yes, he's coming back real soon. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, we did not take our prayer and fasting for the week. We will be praying for Brother and Sister DeMerchant, our missionaries in Manaus, Brazil. They're having a great revival down there, but they do need our prayers. So this is the missionary family that we'll be praying for. And then we want to pray for our junior camp and all of our campers who go. How many junior campers do we have that's going up to camp? All right, Chris is going, and Daniel is going. All right. Now, please understand, if you're over 12, you cannot go. So these boys are making a proclamation here. So, so if I signed your youth camp form, I will gladly withdraw my signature. So that is null and void at this time. So... Uh, I will sign you one for junior camp, and we'll get you up there, you know. <clears throat> All right, somebody else raise your hand. I think Ricky Wells did. Did I see Ricky Wells raise his hand? <clears throat> I know what your wife is thinking. <clears throat> she said he doesn't act his age. <laughs> Oh, praise God. My, my, my. Let's go to our fasting and prayer, all right? Would you bow your heads? All of those who will fast on Monday, would you please raise your hands? Would you count these for me? Okay. On Monday, raise your hand up high. We're taking a count tonight. All right. And then what about Tuesday? All right. Raise your hand up. Keep it up until we... Okay. Okay, and Wednesday. Okay. Now, Thursday. All right. And Friday, would you raise your hand? Friday. Okay. And Saturday. Do we have any hands for Saturday? Okay. All right. And then Sunday. All right. Okay. And thank you so very much. Galatians 2. I told you this morning I was going to preach on frustration. Now, this message tonight deals with the consequences of frustration. I'm not going to be doing a lot of dealing with how to overcome it. This would be more of a Bible study subject, and I may deal with this again Thursday night. I would like to take our Thursday night service, and I would like to talk about uh, our altar uh, services and then, of course, uh, do a little organizing. I think that we we do need that. Uh, I want to see more people pray through than we've ever had in one year's time. We're off to the best start we've ever had. Uh, July, a lot of part of June, July is a pretty rough time for this, but because we just have people on the move all the time. But we will do this. 
Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. All right, and you may be seated. This is a fairly simple message because I'm dealing more with the, the consequences of frustration. That is, you know, the, the price that you pay. Uh, most of you, no doubt, know what the word frustrate means. How many of you have been frustrated lately? I, I put the lately on it. <laughs> Raise your hand again. <laughs> Look at the hands. <laughs> now, I did not raise my hand because I'm holding the Bible open with one book and the mic with the other, but I would have raised my hand, I will assure you. All right. What I want to do is read this out of the Amplified Bible. Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace or unmerited favor of God. For if justification or righteousness Acquittal from guilt comes through observing the ritual of the law. Then Christ the Messiah died groundlessly and to no purpose, and it is in vain. His death, his death was in vain. Now, what I want to do is, uh, uh, in, in this message, is, is just to get you to understand that that uh, there are things that God does, and he does those things entirely different from the way that man does them. This morning in the dedication uh, that we had of Brother and Sister Thorpe's uh, son, I should say Daniel because we got a lot of Thorpe's around here, but... Uh, we talked about God's ways. The, the, Isaiah said that the Lord's ways are far above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Now, that simply means that from a human point of view, that uh, sometimes it's, it's not easy to connect with, the, with, with God's thinking. You're on kind of a different wavelength. Uh, you're, you're on a different uh, plane. You don't see things altogether like God sees things. Uh, Peter says that a thousand years to man is just one day to God. Uh, God does not just live in and around the planet Earth. But God is universal. He's everywhere. Now, if you went to some distant planet, you'd find that the day, and I call it a day because I'm talking about a period of light and a period of darkness, would be totally different from what it is here. And each planet that you would visit would be different because I don't know of any two that has that, that have a 24-hour day. Uh, so as a result... Uh, God, seeing all of this, 
uh, does not e e equate, does not measure time like we measure time. Time is a way of measuring duration. And so God, uh, when He equates things, when He measures things, doesn't always use the, the sun and the moon for day and night. That's, that's very, very important for us, us to understand. Because most frustration, as I deal with it tonight, it, the way we're, the subject we're, we're trying to define tonight deals with the, the promises of God. So we feel sometimes that God promises us something, and we have been faithful, at least we feel we have, to fulfill our particular part of the bargain. And for some reason, we feel that that there is a breakdown. We're not really for sure what it is. It's just a problem with it. Now, I know that I am speaking to some suffering individuals. I know I'm speaking to some confused, some frustrated individuals. Some of you spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what is wrong, what went wrong, or what's going wrong. That's uh, it's extremely important that I address this. Now, when basically when we talk about frustration, we just let's use the word frustrate. Frustrate means to bring to nothing, to make useless or worthless, to oppose, to prevent from accomplishing. Now, if you went and picked up a book on the synonyms of frustrate, you'd find many more. But I'm only bringing to you the the ones that I think are, are proper or applicable to this particular scripture. To be confounded or confused. To be puzzled or perplexed. You ever had something that puzzled you? Just plain puzzled you? And you just can't figure it out. You really don't know. Now, I believe that the devil is trying to frustrate the plan of God for many Christians. And there are other people who are, are people who are involved in the Christian ranks that, that they help in that plan simply by, by adding fuel to the fire. They really add, they, there are certain people that know how to ask the right question, and there are people know who, who how to, there are people who know how to ask the wrong question. You know, it's, it's not just by coincidence or by accident or maybe just to fill pages that, that there are many, many scriptures in the Bible that deal with our relationships uh, they're just there. And as we relate to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, there is a proper way and there is an improper way. Because sometimes a word that's not fitly spoken, the Bible speaks of that. 
can do so much damage. Sometimes the wrong question can further the cause of Satan's uh, confusion or frustration in an individual's life. can cause more uh, opposition to, to what God is trying to do. Now, I believe that what we need to do is kind of turn the tables and see if we can frustrate the devil and, and his plan. Like the Bible says that a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, it, it's very, very difficult to give a soft answer at times. You know, you, because you just, it, it is difficult. It is extremely difficult. When Christians pray, they frustrate the devil's plan. They really do. If the devil has a plan to stop you from praying, it causes you to pray more then his plan becomes frustrated. Now, I have maintained, I'll just throw this out. We, we talked about that we would not talk too much about the cure, but the consequences, that the cure is pretty much spoken of in Galatians uh, 3. Now, no, no doubt about it, pardon me, not Galatians, Colossians, rather, uh, uh, 3. Colossians 3 the Bible says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You know, what we do when we're in here in the house of God is so important. How many times have you felt frustrated, confused, puzzled about something? You come in the house of God, and we start singing, and you start worshiping, and you refocus and it seems like that when you refocus, there is the defining of things. You can see things clearly. It's, it's the putting things in order in your life. It's the reestablishing of priorities. It's, uh, you know, placing proper emphasis. It's the, the juggling around, the moving around of things. You know yourself, one of the easiest ways in the world to become frustrated is just get your priorities confused. The devil will, you know, there, there's no real good time for anybody to pray. You know, every now and then I'll, I'll talk with people about time management and, and, and it always comes up. Now, this is a good time for me to pray. There is no good time for anybody to pray. You have to make time for prayer. There's no good time. But even when you have a time which you think is more convenient for you, or maybe I should say, you shouldn't use the word convenient, because uh, if you choose the most convenient time for pray, for prayer, it's, it's usually not the time that you ought to be praying. In other words, if you choose a convenient time to pray, it certainly won't be when you start your day off. It'll be maybe mid-afternoon or some other time, and you don't want to spend that much time uh, wide awake 
on the planet earth without going to the Lord in prayer. I suggest that the, the quicker you can go to God in prayer after you wake up, the better off you are. Now, there's some people who have to get a cup of coffee or, or uh, wash their face with cold water or something, wake up a little bit before they pray. Whatever your particular uh, way is, I mean, you may get that out of the way and then go to God in prayer. You want your mind to be clear. You want to be able to think. You don't want to be just yawning and going, nodding off to sleep while you're praying. But if you pick a convenient time, there won't be a convenient time. There just will not be a convenient time. But uh, going back to what Paul was saying, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He didn't say the God of peace. He says the peace of God. He takes one part of God's character, which is peace, and peace and government in the Scripture are fairly inseparable. That doesn't mean they mean the same. It means that one comes as a result of the other, where you have government, and government is basically arranging or of circumstances and situations by a particular order. Uh, it can be just uh, the mentality of an individual. A person has good government in his mind when he can sort out things and place things and recall things and he knows how to memorize certain things. He's got good order. He's got good government in his brain. Walk in the office and see how things are stacked up and and uh, see how things are placed and you can go pick this up or that up. There's good order there. So when, when you find government in the Bible, a lot of times it talks about peace. Isaiah 9, 6, and some of you have heard me make some of these statements because you see me on, on the video on Christian, in Christian stewardship. Sister Jeanette Powell, where is she? She's not here tonight. Jeanette Powell came out laughing. I mean, she thought it was just hilarious because she saw this man in their teaching this morning that looked at least looked like my twin only about 15 years younger than me she said she thought it was so funny i didn't didn't get the humor but <clears throat> <laughs> but uh <clears throat> i do a lot of uh, teaching in there about priorities and about government Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. All right? And then Isaiah 9 7, the Bible says, And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There shall be no end. When Paul talks to Timothy about, about uh, civil leaders, he said, pray for the kings and the magistrates and the governors and so forth and so on. Why? So that you may live a peaceable life. In other words, pray that, that God will get someone in that can follow the right plan. Because if you get someone in that follows the plan of the devil, the devil 
The thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And some people can, can, can oppose God's plan and actually become pawns, putty, clay, vessels in the hands of Satan to frustrate people and confuse people say the wrong thing at the wrong time or however that goes. Just, just keep things all you know, stirred up. Frustration is a lot like strife. In fact, they work hand in hand. Strife is that little bitty something that gets between people that you can't really put your finger on. So you can't really deal with it, but you, you know it's there. It's that little spark that you're receiving this this, this electrical charge or whatever, you know it's there, but you can't put your finger on it, so you can't deal with it. And this is the way frustration works. I remember uh, one time that in a special service I was in, I was on the platform, and there must have been 20 ministers there, and I was the only one that had a Bible. Now, Whoever was preaching, I don't recall who was preaching, he said, turn to the book of Nehemiah. And all of a sudden I drew a blank. I, Where's Nehemiah? You know, it just, I mean, and, and what happened was that everybody said, well, Brother Grant has a Bible to read with him. And here I'm trying to think, Nehemiah. Honestly, if somebody had asked me then, is there a book in the Bible called Nehemiah? I'd have said, probably because... <laughs> The preacher asked us to turn there. But I, I mean, I just drew a blank. And and I was trying to think, is that in the New Testament or Old Testament? Not, you know, really. I, I just drew a And all of a sudden, I got, I got frustrated. And so I just began to just turn through the Bible. Every, all these preachers are looking at me. And I wanted to turn and say, would everybody quit staring at me? I mean, I really felt terrible. Do you know what happened? They all were just looking. I never did find it. I thought, man. You know, and I know when they sat down, I, did, I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. When I know that when we all sat down, they thought, Brother Grant probably doesn't even know there's a book of Nehemiah. Well, mine, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I could quote the books of the Bible. So you know what I did? I, was just, I, I said, hold it a minute. Hold your cool. Settle down. And I started quoting the books of the Bible. And sure enough, I came across Nehemiah. Can you believe that? I, I just... Now, would you believe I was in a, a meeting not long ago in which I didn't have the Bible. My Bible was in the building, but it just wasn't there. I was called up. And I left my Bible back a ways. And would you believe two or three other preachers and another preacher and the, and the minister said turned and this preacher could not find it in his Bible. I felt so sorry for him. I wouldn't even look. I just sat there just like I wasn't interested in looking anyway. Because he just got frustrated. I, said, I know this man knows. He just couldn't find it. You know, just couldn't find it. Just couldn't find it. 
You know, if you'd always think to just hold your cool. And even looking around and saying, now, Nehemiah, where is that? That would have been better than me because I never did find it. I mean, I was flipping back and forth, back and forth. And yeah, probably then if I'd have run across it, I wouldn't have seen it. You know, I was just that confused. Just that confused. So if we can maintain order, good order, in our mind, in our actions, this is basically how to overcome frustration. But we do this a lot by letting the Word of God dwell in us and give us wisdom, by teaching and admonishing one another in songs and hymns and spirituals. Song. They're nothing that I know of that can settle me down faster than, than, than a, a good hymn. Now, it works better when somebody else is singing it. You know, every now and then I will sing one. It helps me. But, but every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll just get a little bit, I don't just confuse in my mind, puzzled about something. I just... It seems like everything kind of jumps out of its place. Like walking in my office and opening the files and just dumping them all out on the floor. And I'm supposed to find something. Every now and then I counsel with someone. Or uh, pray at the hospital or something presents itself that just that's a little bit different. I can get in the car and start worshiping the Lord. I can put in a tape someone singing. Now I tell you what, I don't I don't care what people say, the old, old songs are the best to bring order to the mind. I'm serious with you. Now a lot of the I you know, I let me just point out some concerns. I we don't use the hymnals, right? We need pews. We have some books passed out. We don't use the hymnals quite enough. What's going, to, what's going to happen, some of you are going to grow up and, you, and, and you'll not even know there is a hymn. Somebody say something about a hymn book and you say, what's that? You might say, well, Brother Grant, you want to hold fast to your tradition. Yes, if that tradition enhances a relationship with God. And I think some of the old songs do indeed enhance our relationship with God. See, some of the, some of the new courses and I... I I uh, I like fast songs, no doubt about it. Uh, I like to sing fast songs. This this one uh, I'm responsible for a lot of things here, you know. That sometimes I complain about later on. <clears throat> like whose side are you leaning on? Everybody just loves that, except Eileen Manley. <clears throat> she told me the other night. She said, "I hate that song." <clears throat> You like it? Yes. Brother Manna likes it too. <clears throat> but uh, but I, I think, you know, if, if you go back and look in, in the hymn book and you pick out some of the old songs and you go to some uh, resources and find out what caused some of those songs to come about. Some of the, the deep moments of prayer and uh, meditation where people were frustrated. Did you know that some of those songs came out of some very severe moments of frustration where people were totally 
disoriented and confused. And God gave them a song. I think this is the reason why that those some of those songs do such a, a they're, they're like medicine to the soul. They they do something. Whereas you know a lot of the courses and such uh, are are written by individuals that some of them don't even go to church regularly. And, this is the reason why, truthfully, I. Uh, and this is no this is no fault of the song. I'm just pointing out something. It's 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 more of a fault of the person that's singing it. This is the reason why that sometimes people can jump all over the place and then leave the leave the church and just act like the devil, act like they don't even know God. Well, you I mean you can't blame the songwriter for that except that some of the songs uh, do not enhance genuinely enhance. A relationship with God. You know. But if you pick up the hymn book and you look through there, almost every hymn in that book you will find that when you check the historical account that they those came out of some deep, intimate relationship with God. Some deep, intimate relationship with God. And usually the person wrote the hymn because they were very puzzled or perplexed. And they had to depend on God. They couldn't depend on their own understanding. They were frustrated. So I think the Bible is telling us in essence, that, you know, some things we, we want to make it very difficult, but it's really not that difficult if you know the source of your strength, if you know where to go, if you know what to do. So, and, you know, and, and, and people. I, there are certain people that every time I talk with them when I leave, I am I'm confused, I'm puzzled, I'm frustrated. Because I never know what they're saying. Seriously. They just seem to talk in circles. Now, I'm not preaching this because of, uh, of physical evidence found in the church, but, but, but Joe Thorpe did tell me that he's noticed that a lot, that he noticed a lot more nail clippings on the floor in the church. And uh, I told him to bring me some. I wanted to examine them. What I'd like to do, I'd like I'd like to put them under a microscope and find out if they've been clipped or or someone has bitten them off. You know, when you bite them off, it 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 means you really have a problem with frustration. If you clip them off, you're developing a real problem. <coughs> so, so, so. Uh, <coughs> but but there are certain people that that. that now I can talk to them, and I want to just bite my nails. I want to clip my nails. You know, just, you know, seriously. And there are other people that you can talk with them. And Now, Brother Urshan is a real master at, at just making you feel comfortable. Now, he can be real plain, uh, plain and frank with you, but, but he's so soft-spoken, I always have to ask him, what did you say? We go to a restaurant or something, he just... He never gets in a hurry. He just, if, if you're walking with him someplace, he just, he'll, if you've got six blocks to go at a general conference, he just 
walks along like. Well, you've got to understand that wherever he's going, he's usually in charge, and, and they won't start without him. So <laughs> you don't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry about it. But, but that's just the way he does. He'll just walk along. And we go in a restaurant, and we'll sit down. And he has a way of making you feel real important. He'll say, Brother Grant, it's really good to be with you. I was looking forward to this. I, I'm thinking about why would he want look forward to being with me? <laughs> just, that's just the way he is. Though. And so he'll say something. I'll say, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. And so he'll, he'll turn and look at you. He won't increase the tone of his voice. He's just so relaxed and settled. And, and when he preaches, I, I get this feeling, you know, just feeling of security. That, that you know, that <clears throat> if there was a devil on every street corner and you were walking with Brother Urshan, you'd feel real secure because just the composure he has about things. You know, he just, he just emits that. He does. And we have had some situations to occur. You know, all churches do. And, of course, there's an organization we do. And when he's behind the pulpit, it's just like, well, we've worked through many, many situations. We'll work through this one. Now, he doesn't say that, but you have that feeling, you see. You have that feeling. Parents sometimes can do this. Others have a tendency to, to cause their children to go the other way. You know, I've been guilty of both. <clears throat> really. You know, you can make a mountain out of a molehill. And sometimes, I know in correcting children, especially if you've told them and told them, you, you have to be firm and sometimes overdo some things so they get the message. But you know what I'm talking about. In homes, there can be financial problems. And sometimes you can run in and scream and have a family council and, and, and start explaining how bad things are and everything's falling apart and we can't do this, we, you know. And after a while, everybody's frustrated, just, you know, just confused. They're puzzled because you gave them no sense of direction about anything, see. No sense of direction. All right. <clears throat> it's during those moments of time that mistakes, drastic mistakes, can be made. In looking at the scriptures, and I, I did this just in, in private devotion recently. This is where I came up with this, and I, I needed this. But it was between the promise that God made and the fulfillment of that promise that quite often people became frustrated, puzzled about things. And this is where they really failed God. The first time that uh, Moses dealt with this is when he knew. Now, I'm not really for sure why he knew or how he knew that he was supposed to be the deliverer of God's people from Egyptian bondage. I have no idea, but I, for some reason he seemed to know that. 
Maybe that was a calling he had from a child. I don't know. Or maybe he just heard from all of his, his relatives, God's going to take us out of this. Now you may say, well, it was promised in the Bible. Oh, but you've got to understand the Bible was not written then. If, if the human race had any of the Word of God at that time, it was probably only one book, and it was the book of Job, and probably was not accessible to too many people. So here's a man that we, we don't, but he, somehow he felt in his heart that, that he was supposed to do this. And so one day he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he knew that in his own heart he knew that this was wrong and felt that he was to be the deliverer instead of letting God work this thing out he took the matter in his own hands and rose up and killed the Egyptian now what happened was he, the Bible says that he took and he buried he buried the man. In other words, he committed a crime. He said, I, I'm going to bury this man. Well, not only did, did the Israelites know about this, but also the Egyptians found out about it. Now, here's a man that, that, that probably felt, well, this is the time for me then to deliver Israel. But it was not that time that it, for, for, for that to take place. When, when Moses left in a real hurry to go into the wilderness, he was one puzzled and one confused man. But it seemed to be between the promise and the fulfillment of this promise that, that he became just impatient, lost his cool. It led to a lot of frustration that caused him to act very... Very irrational. In the desert for 40 years he labored. No doubt still feeling that he was to be the deliverer. In God's own time, God sent the burning bush. God spoke through the burning bush. God sent him back to Pharaoh. Sent him back into Egypt. And it was here in God's time that the people of Israel were delivered. But God wasn't going to do it just because Moses felt that it ought to be done right then. Maybe I'm speaking to someone here tonight that, that, that this, this is your case. I remember when God called me to minister. I, I really felt it in my heart. And so I started preaching. I became very frustrated because, you see, I wanted to advance from a novice who would only preach once or twice to a full-time evangelist on the road, traveling all over the USA, preaching in big coliseums. And I, at one time, I figured out that God wanted to save the entire human race by my voice. 
My mouth. You know, I would pray and seek the Lord and pray and seek the Lord, but what happens sometimes, you get frustrated. And I knew I had... I, Man, I tell you what, I'd study. I got a message every night. If anybody asked me to preach, when I walked in the church, I had a message. And I'd sit back and I'd say, I know that God wants me to preach tonight. Oh, it may have been a special announced uh, rally or something. We had an out-of-state speaker. But I knew that something was going to happen because God had given me the message for the night. Well, after the man had preached and I was brokenhearted and repented over my arrogancy and said, you know, you can be arrogant like that and nobody ever knows your thoughts, but you follow what I'm saying? I just knew I would pray and seek the Lord and then I'd back up and here I'd go again. Here I'd go again. But between the promise which was the calling and the fulfillment of that, I got very frustrated. And I know I deal with a lot of young men and women. They really get frustrated. I said, oh my, if, if, if I don't go do this right now, there won't be enough time left. You don't question God's wisdom, do you? Are you submitting to God? Are you in God's hands? Are you letting God work out these things for you? But God promised, but between the promise and the fulfillment. Moses made another terrible mistake. He was in a moment of frustration. When, when Moses took his staff and smote the rock... Now, if I understand my Bible correctly, Moses was to take his staff and he was to smite the rock one time and only one time because that rock that followed them was Christ Jesus and water was to flow out of this. But the reason why that he was to smite it one time and only one time because that it was a, indeed a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ who was smitten one time and only once for the sins of the whole world. After that, he was to simply go up and speak to the rock. And that's our approach to the Lord today. We just simply make an appeal. We simply go up and speak to the rock. Lord, I have a need. I need a fulfillment of something. I have a desire. We simply speak that rock and that's the way it happens but in a moment of frustration guess what he did he took and smote the rock with the staff and God saw this and prohibited this man from going into the promised land Moses went to the top of Mount Nebo and looked over in the promised land God let him see it but would not let him go inside of the promised land you can see then how frustration can be so very fatal. It can be very fatal. It can cause you to, to do some very dishonorable things. And then, of course, the, the one story, I guess, in the, the whole Bible 
that if you were to search it out, that would really stand out in your mind is found in the book of Genesis. It has to do with Abraham and Sarah when God promised them a child. I'm assuming when God promised them a child that, that, that Abraham, the Bible says that he was fourscore and six years old. Uh, that is, when Ishmael was born, God promised the child at least a gestation period back from that, nine months. He was no doubt 85 years old. He was 10 years older than his wife, which would put Sarah at that time at 75 years of age. You see, here's the problem. When you're 75, <laughs> I'm assuming that you realize you're not getting any younger. And it looks like that God is going to take His good, easy time in fulfilling that promise. Well, it was of such nature that when the promise was given that that Sarah laughed. She thought it was funny. <laughs> when she would have laughed. She actually thought it was funny. Then she realized that no, God was very serious about this, that He wants to give us a child. But time went on. She wasn't getting any younger. Never had a child before. And... She came up with this brilliant idea. It was in a moment of frustration. She called her husband, Abraham, over and said, You know, I, I have this handmaiden. She's such a nice girl. She's an Egyptian. And I tell you what I think God had in mind. And she told him the plan. I think that what you should do is to... Is to, to to raise up children by her. I mean, th this would be almost like me having them. Because Hagar and I are one. Now, <clears throat> I don't know anything about this Egyptian lady. I don't know if she was pretty or ugly. I don't know if Abraham thought this was a good idea. I don't know if it took a lot of talking or not. But I know that there was had spoken. And it seems like, now when I talk about frustration as it relates to my subject tonight, it's in that time in which you understand the promise, but yet the promise has not been fulfilled that this type of situation happens because you want to hurry God along. You want to push God along. You want to make it happen. God speaks to you and says, I'm going to save your child. You'd like to see your child say, tonight. God says, I'm going to save your husband, and he's not saved. You want to see him saved tonight. And it's because that God gives you that promise, and you don't keep things in order in your life, and you're not constantly depending on God, that it's easy for you then to just go in, and, and, and I mean, you've got a few scriptures under your belt, and you think God's going to save him, so I'm going to really lay into this man. Because God said he's going to save him. He's going to save him tonight. You wait till I finish with him. He'll want to repent. 
Follow what I'm saying? See, that happens. That happens. So, what happened was that, that Abraham was listening and finally conceded to this and said, well, all right. And, and the Bible says that he took Hagar to be his wife. And then, of course, Hagar conceived. And, and she was, she no more than found out that she was going to have a child. And guess what happened? Sarah, when she found out the news, she says, what? What was her idea to start with? Now, you see, if, when you follow the questions, the statements that were made and the questions that were asked, you can understand why you have to label this as being frustration because there's so much puzzlement, so much, uh, uh, so much that's happening here that, that just, that, you know, you, you say, now why would she do this? It was her idea, and whenever she found out that Hagar was with child, she said, what? Well, it was the whole purpose of the plan. She said, you mean to tell me God's going to favor her over me? Well, now if she hadn't been frustrated, this is what she would have no doubt said. Well, it's a good thing because I'm 75 years old, approaching 76, I can't have a child anyway. No, that's not what happened. From that day on, there was resentment in the camp. She was puzzled about this. She didn't like this. After a while, it was not a good idea at all. It was a terrible idea. I'd say that I'm speaking to someone here tonight that God has made His promises very plain to you. Maybe some of you many years ago, but you're living in this area of frustration. Just, you're there. But as long as you're frustrated, guess what? It's almost like God just plays the waiting game. You know what? Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was... 90 years old when Isaac was born. Now, the severe consequences of this frustration has its effects in the world today. All of the conflict in the Mideast today dates back to somewhere around 1900 B.C. Way, way back. It goes all the way back to that particular date. My, my, how we need to just listen to God, depend on God, and do God's will. If you feel that God has, has promised you something, lay claim on that promise, but don't become frustrated. Hang in there. Believe God. Basically, just keep walking with God. Keep doing what you're doing. Here's a parable that I've preached from before in Luke 12. This is the parable of the steward and his servants, Luke 12:42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward 
whom his Lord shall make him rule over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. In other words, when God comes to fulfill his promise, whatever it is, are you still faithful to God? You still believe in God? Are you still hanging in there? Some people stop praying. Some people even stop living for God because they just, wow, they just can't handle it. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him rule over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. Now we like to think that this is talking about the coming of the Lord. Not necessarily. It simply means that, that what he promised would come to me hasn't come to me yet. In other words, he hasn't delivered the goods yet. He hasn't brought what he promised. Now, I know that sometimes we get just figments of our imagination. We think that God wants us to do certain things, and, and it's not God's will at all. I know that that happens. But you don't know the people that I've talked through through my life that, that have told me. When I first started walking with God, I knew God wanted me to do this, that, and the other. But after a while, I just determined, well, it really wasn't that way, and when you talk with them, you find that they went through a period of frustration. They got confused about the doctrine. They got confused about, about lifestyle. They got confused about how much prayer was required, how much prayer wasn't required after a while. They just lived in this area of puzzlement and frustration. They didn't really know. The problem is they never came to themselves, never found themselves, some exist in the body of Christ today, and I'm sorry to say, some do not. They don't. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men, servants, and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken. And let me say something. There is nothing in all the world that plagues a frustrated person like taking his tongue and using it. There are more ways to beat people than take your belt off or take a limb or a hickory stick or something. You can be around frustrated people for ten minutes. And I'm here to tell you the venom and, and, and such it, it, that flows out of some of these people. They can cut you. They can hurt you. I'm talking about people that God has given remarkable promises to. But somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, they became disoriented. They said, well, it looks like maybe he's not going to ever come. Didn't Peter even say that in the last days there should be scoffers traveling after their own lusts saying, where is the promise of His coming? You've got to understand, now, First and Second Peter epistles that were written to the general body 
of believers. And everything you read in there is not addressing people of the world. In fact, I have come to this conclusion that Satan does his greatest work among the children of disobedience. And whenever I say the children of disobedience, I know that sometimes it's talking about people out in the world. But many times it's talking about people within the church. See, what could Satan really do to this church? He could do absolutely nothing. But if there exist situations among us which causes us to turn on each other through frustration and we begin to beat each other and mistreat each other and talk about each other. And a lot of that is coming about simply because some people know in their heart that God wants to use them but they're just not patient enough to wait until he delivers the gift to them. I know I'm speaking to some ministers here. We have ministers who have license. We have some who will be getting license. We have some men who are are genuinely called to the Lord. It is so easy while you're maturing, to become frustrated. Want to move out ahead of God. Remember the horrible mistake of Moses having to spend 40 years in the wilderness, isolated, not not around the people that he loved and desired. It happened as a result of frustration. You see an aged man now. This man is 120 years of age. He, he barely can make it to the top of Mount Nebo. But one thing that God did, and I want you to hear me, God allowed this man to have good eyesight until he died. I guess you could say, along with the blessing also came the curse. What do you mean? I think if I'd have been Moses and I was standing on that top of the mountain, Knowing that out of frustration I smote the rock twice, I would rather not be able to see what that man saw. But he had good eyes until he died, and he saw what could have been his. But it wasn't his. And I'm wondering tonight, what could be yours? Already, if maybe you had not have been so frustrated somewhere and thwarted, altered that plan in your life. You see, only God knows what could have been. But you see, it's all history now. We have to pick up from here. And we have to go from here. I want to encourage you, stand on the promises of God. I've never, in all the years that I've been preaching, felt so definite, definite in Florida this past week to come back and talk to you precious people about this. I've talked to some of you. 
Some young men of this congregation I've taught. Did you know that God has a genuine divine calling for some young men of this congregation? Some of you, if you are faithful to God, there is an anointing that's going to rest upon you. You know, when I, I was just down in Florida, and man, I had no telling that the people came up and said, Oh, Brother Crowder, he was in our church, Deland. My, did he, nine people received the Holy Ghost. Most we've had in a long time. Because I had to brag him up, you know. And we have others. Brother, Brother Keith Manley is now down in Vincennes, Indiana, preaching. He closes out tonight in a revival. Now, I want to say this. I, 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 I want to be as productive as I possibly can. I want to do everything I can for God. But I hope that every young man and every young lady that sits under the sound of my voice tonight, that's called of God, that in your lifetime you'll be able to do a whole lot more than Pastor Grant. And you'll be a lot more successful than Pastor Grant ever was. I wish that for you. Rich Thomas feels a real call of God. Rich and I are not far apart in age. I've been preaching many, many years. He hasn't started pastoring yet. I've told Rich, you know, he approached me a couple of times. He said, don't just get, don't get frustrated now. You know, there is such a thing as God opening the door, and when God opens the door, you walk through. But let me tell you, sometimes you can just barnstorm the door, so to speak, push things open, and try things yourself, and go ahead of everything. Not saying it's rich to hold you back. Timing is so important because you have to be on God's team doing it when God wants it done. My, I'm telling you, I feel something powerful in this place. Mashanda Fisher's pastor, Brother Lister, came up. Ask about Mashanda. Most of you don't know this. Mashanda was married to one of our pastors that failed God. Most of you don't know that. And this woman has labored and labored and labored. She was used mildly of God as a pastor's wife. And he asked, I said, listen, the favor of God is resting upon this lady. What's she doing in your church? I said, she's just, she's one of the saints of our church. But I want to tell you something. This lady is going to be mightily used of God if she does not frustrate the grace of God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I talked with Daniel just the other night. Daniel? I believe this with all my heart, that God has a calling for you. The first time I saw this boy, I said, there's something different about Daniel. I told him, I said, Daniel, don't frustrate the grace of God. In God's time, walk through the open door and see the blessings of God upon you.
Hallelujah. 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 When Jeanette came here, Jeanette came here, she'd been involved in several different religions. <clears throat> I've counseled with her through the years. There have been a couple of times in which she frustrated the grace of God. I can assure you, I don't know the future, but I know the God of the future. And if Jeanette continues to pray and seek God and not frustrate the grace of God, God has a beautiful life for this lady. I'm not saying she doesn't have a beautiful life now, but I'm talking about something that will blow her mind. If God told her right now, she wouldn't be able to handle it. I'm serious with you. I feel something beautiful in this place. Something beautiful. And yet I know that I am also speaking to some who are living outside of the promises of God because God's promises have become null and void because of your frustration of the grace of God. It's almost like God just withdrew his hand. He's going to let you be status quo the rest of your life. Because you won't back up and redo some things and rededicate and let God come through mightily. You won't do that. But I make an appeal to you tonight. Whatever you have to do, back up, retract, whatever you have to do. Make it right and recommit and stay committed and stop frustrating the grace of God and see what God will do. With you. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now. Oh, God. My.
if you have the interpretation of this, don't hesitate. Just stand right up and give it. Dear Lord, dear Lord, why don't you come on right now? Come on. Let's come on and dedicate our lives to the Lord, would you? Oh, God of heaven. Oh, God. If you're a guest of ours and you'd like to come and pray, come on and pray with us. You're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on down tonight and give your heart to the Lord. Come on right now. Would you do that? Oh, God. Oh, God. My Savior, my Savior, my Savior. That's it. Come on, all over the building, come. Resubmit, rededicate. Let God fill you with His Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. My Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, Lord. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, God of heaven, you're great and wonderful. You're mighty and true. That's it. Come on and give your heart to the Lord. Don't frustrate His grace. Oh, Savior, Savior, Savior. We need God. 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 Oh, yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. My, 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 my. Savior, my Savior, my